Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont. If you're in our area, we wanted to let you know that we have community groups starting back again in September. So check out that and other ministries we have going on here at newkingchurch.com. We're going to stand just to honor God's word as I read from the book of Matthew, chapter 2. And uh, it's the Christmas story we're going to be familiar with. Let me read it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your people, for the church. Thank you for the gift of worship. Father, it is all about you. This is all for you. God, we came here this morning because of you. We're singing songs because of you. I'm preaching a sermon because of you and God. Our entire lives are because of you. Would you open our eyes to see that, really, and to respond accordingly? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can have a seat. It's great to see all of you this morning. Uh, My name is Ben. If I haven't met you yet, and um, we are we are a few weeks into a series going through the book of Matthew called Kingdom Come, and there is some uh, there's there's a lot of reasons for going through the book of Matthew. But one of the reasons that we do this that we that we just work through a book of the Bible like this is because we want you to know how to read your Bible. 
We want you to know how to study your Bible, how to think about your, your, your Bible. When you're reading it, how do you break it down in your mind? How do you think about it? How do you process it? And so even just as we go through this sermon, I want you to be thinking about that. The big idea of this message this morning, where this is all headed, is that you could say this is a story about how God goes to great lengths. He goes to great lengths to, to make his son known and worshipped. And then we're also going to see that we respond accordingly. We should respond accordingly. Um, the, the story sort of focuses around these, these wise men from the east. And so you may have in your head three wise men because that's traditionally what people have thought. You know, there, there's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we oftentimes think, well, there's three wise men and there's, you know, Christmas carols, we three kings and things like that. But, but the reality is the Bible doesn't say how many there were. We just know there were wise men. Um, and what we know about them is this word that's translated wise men is in the, in the Greek, it's magos. And it's, um, it, it means magi. That's where we get the word magician. Um, but, it, but it basically, the word magos is, a, is an Eastern word used by the Babylonians, the Medes, the Persians, and others. And it was a name to describe wise men, teachers, uh, sorcerers, um, astronomers. So that it had a lot of different applications, this word. Uh, we know that they were magi. We, there are a lot of things we don't know. Like I said, we don't know the number of them. We don't know exactly where they came from. We just know uh, that they were from the east. There, there are some reports, early reports, that suggest they came from Ethiopia, India, and Greece. But again, the scriptures just don't say for sure where they came from. Uh, what we do know is they traveled a long distance from the east, probably a, a couple of hundreds of miles, maybe a couple thousand miles. We're just not exactly sure, but we know they traveled a long way from the east. We know that they were not Jewish, that they were Gentiles. And so that's going to come into play as we go along. That's very important. We know that they were students of the stars. They were astronomers. They had been, they, they somehow ascertained from the stars that the Jewish Messiah was born, um, and, that's, and, that, and that, he, that they should go to him. Um, we know that they were prominent, that they were high-ranking officials. They were given um, the chance to go and see King Herod, so they, they would have had prominence. We also know that because of their wealth, because they gave very extravagant gifts to Jesus, and so they would have likely been traveling with a large entourage. So don't just picture three guys all by themselves. I mean, we don't know if it was three, but we know that even if it was three, that they came likely with a large group, with a large entourage, with camels. And so this is a group of people that come into the city. I want you to just imagine this. And they've come into Jerusalem, and it says not only was Herod stirred up by all of this, but the whole 
city as well, all of Jerusalem with him. So probably what happens is word spreading around, hey, there's these guys who just came into town, and, and they are saying that the Messiah has been born, and they need to, to talk with King Herod. And so news is traveling through the city. And so that's kind of the picture is they've come in. There's been a big stir. They've gone in to see King Herod. Then let's look at the star. It says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. We can wonder how this star appeared, what this star was. Uh, that led the wise men from the east. It's a question that have baffled many for ages. Was it a comet? Was it Saturn and Mercury aligning? Was it, um, was it some just anomaly and not really a star? Did it looked like a star. I think it really was a star. Um, but, but the thing I want to point out about all of that is none of that is the point. It's interesting and we even have a little, like, DVD about this, this guy who thinks he figured out how the stars moved and all this stuff. And it's so interesting. But honestly, it's not the point. It's peripheral. The Scriptures don't tell us. And so, just a word on that is when we're reading the Scriptures, we've got to be careful that we don't get caught up in peripheral things that we're focusing on what the text is focusing on. And so, um, it, it's, yeah, it's fun, it's interesting, it's, it makes us curious, but that's not the focus here. God chose not to tell us how this star worked. Here's what we do know. Here's what is important from the text. God uses a star, I mean, which when we just stop and think about the, the size of a star, what goes into making a star, moving a star, whatever, God uses a star to guide these men from far away so that they can come and worship Jesus. He uses space to lead Gentiles to the feet of Jesus. John Piper says about this star that's shining in the night that God wields the universe to make his son known and worshiped. That just gives me chills. God wields the universe to make his son known and worshiped. And now, when I stop and think whether this was three wise men or 30, it is still crazy to me what God did to make this worship happen. And it gives us a little bit of an understanding of how much God wants His Son Jesus to be known and worshipped. And if there's just one thing that you leave here today with, I want you to leave here with this. The God who made it all wants me to know and worship His Son. And He 
goes to great lengths so that that would happen. Now, let's look at this, this uh, verses um, 2 through 5. The wise men say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests... And scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And this is a quote from Micah chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. The wise men, they use this phrase, the king of the Jews. But the text tells us that they knew that Jesus was more than just a king, a king of the Jews. They, they knew that this was more than just Herod, who was a king of the Jews. Herod was called the king of the Jews at this time. They are looking for something more than just a king. They're looking for the king, the Christ. And we know that because after they come in and say and talk to Herod, Herod goes to the chief priests and the scribes and he says, and he inquires of them where the Christ was to be born. So, these wise men, this was... They understood what they were looking for. They knew they were not just looking for a king. They knew they were looking for the Christ, the king of the Jews, the long-awaited Messiah. I imagine that when they came into Jerusalem, they expected the entire city to be in a massive celebration. I imagine that they probably thought, surely, when we come into Jerusalem... This new king will be there and everyone will be celebrating and people will be worshiping. And they came into Jerusalem and there's nothing and everybody is confused. What are you talking about? And so they go into King Herod. Surely he knows. They're looking for the long-awaited Messiah. They're looking for the king who would reign forever. They're looking for the one who would end all other reigns, all other rule. They're looking for the one who would never die. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, where they find this prophecy. It says what they read, that that he would be that he would come from Bethlehem, and then if they would have continued reading, and perhaps this is what so troubled Herod, they would have seen, Micah 5, 2, that this Jewish-born king is from of old, from ancient 
of days. They would have known this is no mere human that was born. This is an eternal king. And then verse 4, Micah 5, 4 says, He shall be great to the ends of the earth. This is not just a, a king that is for the Jewish people, but is a gift to the whole world. And that is why these Gentiles, somewhere from the east, have come to worship him. Because this Messiah is a gift to the whole world. He is eternal. He's the long-awaited Christ, the anointed one. He is the heir of the throne of David. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people's But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. The nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather, they all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Isaiah saw it. This Messiah is going to be a king for the nations. The nations will come to him. It's so cool because Matthew, of the four Gospels, Matthew is the most Jewish of the four Gospels. He is really writing to the Jewish people in particular. He's making a case for Christ as the Jewish Messiah. And yet, very intentionally, the first people he shows worshiping this Jewish Messiah are Gentiles. He begins, he begins to show us Christ being worshiped by Gentiles, the nations coming to him to worship And then we'll see at the end of the book, he ends with this Christ sending the church to the nations. The real question for us this morning, as we look at this incredible passage, is how will we respond to this Messiah? How will we respond to Jesus? There are, in this passage, we can see three ways, three different ways that we could respond to Jesus. The first way we can see is we can respond with hostile rejection. This is how 
Herod responded. Herod just wanted Jesus to go away. And next week, we're going to find out he goes to great lengths. He, he kills every baby in, in the whole area, two years old and under. He just wants Jesus to go away. He wanted to protect his life as he knew it. He loved being king. He didn't want anybody to mess with that. That was his identity. He, he liked being in control. And so he responds with hostile rejection. He didn't want to give up what to him made his life good. And so many people respond to Jesus this way, especially when they hear that Jesus commands all people everywhere to repent. We don't want that. We don't want to turn away from doing life our way and turn to Him in obedience, which is what repentance is. We don't want to trust Him to save us because we want to save ourselves. And so we respond many times, and many people respond with this hostile rejection. I want nothing to do with Him. But there's another response in here that you may not have caught that I think those of us in this room are far more tempted to respond in this way. And that is with indifference. Now, what happens in this story is that Herod, he gathers up the chief priests and the scribes, and they come in and, and the, the cities, remember, the whole, all of Jerusalem is troubled. They're, they know, they've heard what's going on. And he asks them, where is the Messiah to be born? And they say, supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And then he says, okay, thank you. And then they say, all right, back to work. Now, why on earth did these religious leaders not go with the wise men? Why? And I think the answer is that they were hardened. Their hearts were numb. They were about what they did. Studying the word to just accumulate knowledge. They were religious, but they didn't love God. And so, they probably looked at these wise men with unbelief and just said, no, it's just a rumor, whatever. And they went about their business. They didn't even care enough to investigate. And I think in the church, this is the, the temptation for us, is to respond to Jesus today with indifference. Maybe you responded to Jesus with excitement years ago. Maybe you prayed a prayer to, 
to put your faith in Jesus years ago, but today you feel completely numb. You're just going through the motions. Your heart has become hardened and cold. And if that is you, friend, listen to me, there is hope for you. There is grace for you. If you are here, if you are within the hearing of my voice, whether that be here or online, there is still grace for you if you will turn to Jesus and repent and confess and say, God, I've become indifferent. I've become numb. I don't feel anything when I think about you. I need you to thaw my heart. He will do it. And then we're going to see a final way that we can respond to Jesus, and that's the right way. That's the way that the, the wise men responded to Jesus. And that is that they responded to Jesus through passionate pursuit. Passionate pursuit. They saw this star, and they came on a long journey. They went to great lengths to worship at Jesus' feet. Listen to the, the way they respond. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. There are three responses that we see here from these wise men. This is how we ought to respond to Jesus. First, we see joyful celebration. It says, not just They didn't just respond with joy. They didn't just respond with great joy. It says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is not just praise hands emoji. This is is not just, you know, the, the sway. If you've been around the church a little while, you know the sway. This is jumping up and down. This is exceedingly great joy. This is hands raised, tears coming down their face, shouting praises. That is the kind of joy we we should respond with when we see Jesus rightly. And then look at the next thing that it says, they fell down and worshipped. Think about this. These are highly esteemed officials. They walk into a very humble house. Mary and Joseph were not wealthy. They walk into a very humble home and they see a baby that is Somewhere around a year old, maybe a few months old. We don't know exactly. Maybe he's toddling around at this point. And they fall down on their faces before him. Why? 
Because they know who He is. When you see who Jesus is, you can't help but fall down in worship. You can't help but humble yourself in His presence. Because they know, even if this is just a baby, this is the King of Kings. So they humble themselves. This looks for us like submitting ourselves to His authority. It's recognizing that we are nothing and He is everything. We are not God. He is. We are not King. He is. And so we submit our lives. This looks like us saying, Lord, what do you want from me? Not my will, your will. Do you want me to quit my job and do that thing? Sure, I'll do it. God, you want me to sell my business? Sure, I'll do that. You want me to go to the other side of the globe to reach this group of people? Sure, I'll do it. You want me to walk across the street to my neighbor? Yes. You want me to talk to my coworker? Absolutely. This is humble submission. Whatever you say, whenever you say it, and however you want me to do it, I say yes. The next thing we see is an extravagant offering. They opened their treasures and gave him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, they give him an extravagant offering. How do we give to God an extravagant offering? Now, I was thinking about this. If these wise men rightly understood, they knew that when they gave Jesus this gold, frankincense, and myrrh, they were simply giving back to Him what He had given to them. That's what any offering ever is. It's simply giving back to God what He already gave to you. When you give a tithe of your income as an offering, that is just giving back to God 10% of the 100% that He already owns. When you give your time and your talents to serve people, that's just giving back the talents and the time that God has given to you to steward. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You want to know how to worship? You present your body to God. What does that look like? What does that look like? Is there like an altar somewhere and you go and you lay down on it and you say, here it is, Lord. Romans goes on to tell us what that looks like. It goes on and it says in verse 4, the members of this body do not all have the same function. And then it says, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. This is how you present your body as a living sacrifice. He goes on to say, if you have a gift of prophecy, then do it according to your faith. 
You have the gift of service, then serve. The gift of teaching, then teach. The gift of exhorting, exhort people. Generosity, give. Leading, lead with zeal. Acts of mercy, do those acts of mercy. So this is how you present your body as a living sacrifice. What has God given to you? Has He given you a gift of teaching? Teach people. Has He given you the gift of acts of mercy? Then use it. I was thinking about this this morning, and I was thinking, you know, I don't, I don't typically think about what I'm doing as an act of worship in this way that I am presenting. When I am up here, when I'm preparing a sermon, when I'm, I'm using my, my mouth to preach the Word, I'm actually presenting my body as a sacrifice. I'm giving back to God what He's given to me. And we all have. God has gifted every member of the body to do this. It's a wonderful thing to realize. This isn't like, this isn't hard for us to understand. He's given us gifts, ways that He wants us to serve and build up the body. And we can use those things, and that is our spiritual worship. Let's look at what they give to Jesus quickly. They give Him gold. Gold would point to the fact that Jesus is king. In the Old Testament, gold was frequently um, connected to kingship. They give Him frankincense. This would point to the fact that Jesus is God. In the Old Testament, frankincense was regularly part of sacrificial offerings. And then they give Him myrrh. Remember in that passage in Isaiah 60, it says, and they bring him gold and frankincense, but it didn't say anything about myrrh. What's the deal with myrrh? Myrrh was a perfume, and it had a ton of different uses, but it was used for the body. So I think this myrrh points to Christ's humanity, but there's something else there too. It's going to point forward to the entire reason this baby has come to earth in the first place. John 19, 38 through 42 tells us when Jesus died on the cross that his body was anointed with myrrh. So it's, it's hard when we're reading this, you know, it's just, a, it's just words. We've got to put ourselves there. Put yourself in Joseph and Mary's house and think about the aroma would have filled the house. Now, Mary would have... You know how memories are connected to the smells? Now I want you to think forward. Jesus is being taken to a tomb. And she smells that smell. And she remembers. And she sees and she knows God knew all along. This was the reason He came. He came to die for us. From the very beginning, God the Father was looking ahead at the day when Jesus Christ would hang on a cross 
to take the payment and the penalty for our sins upon himself. Matthew had already made it clear that this is why Jesus came when the angel announced in chapter 1, he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus hung on a cross. That's why he died. That's why he came, was to save his people from their sins. What about you? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you turned to Jesus in faith? Have you seen Jesus as who He truly is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the eternal one, the long-awaited Messiah, the one who would reign forever and ever, the one who would die for you so that if you put your trust in Him, you could be forgiven of your sins? Have you done that? Have you turned from your sins to Him and put your trust in Him so that you could begin a relationship with Him, so that you could be forgiven of your sins? That's the first and right way to respond to Jesus. Or will you respond like Herod and reject Him and say, I like life the way it is? What we learn from Herod is that was futility because he could not stop what God was going to do. Will you respond like the religious leaders with indifference and leave here with your heart cold and numb? Or will you respond like the wise men with passionate pursuit? Will you fall on your face before him and worship him for who He is, and give your life to Him as a response. My prayer is that's how we would all respond to Him. Pray with me. Father, God, we just confess that even though some of us, we we may have been born again and had our eyes opened and we see Jesus as the Savior, the King, we just confess that we still see through a glass dimly. We can't see you the way we ought to see you. We need grace. We need help. Help us to see how wonderful you are. Father, you went to great lengths to bring people to the feet of your son, Jesus. Would you help us to worship, to truly cherish and love your son? And God, for those who do not yet know him, open their eyes that they may see. Show them their need for a savior. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.